From India's largest newsroom, I'm Meenal Baghel and this is the Times of India podcast. I would like to dedicate this book to my mother. She is someone who has loved me unconditionally, done everything for me, given me the strength I possess today to be a warrior. I dedicate this to her as I do not know her or fully understand her. I do not understand some of her decisions and actions and hope to get some answers and clarity in the coming years. I have dedicated this book to her so she can get to know me the 5 years lost for both of us the battles i have faced writing this book was my cure this is for her the mom in question here is media executive indrani mukherjee imprisoned at baikala women's prison in mumbai and on trial for the murder of her daughter sheena bora indrani's surviving daughter vidhi mukherjee is just out with a book chronicling the 5 years since Sheena's sensational murder was first discovered in 2015 and how that event upturned her and her family's life the book is called devil's daughter my first thought didn't go to my mother you know the first thought was instantly like i genuinely felt that i was the devil's child and the devil is portrayed by the society the law the media and ultimately my own self you know i viewed myself as the devil's child good evening and welcome to this special edition of the news app viewers exactly one year back times now broke the news about indrani mukherjee's arrest in the sheena bora murder case now almost to the day in what is the biggest crime news break of the year we have in our possession 20 audio conversations that seriously include the biggest expose on the money trail yet in the Sheena Bora murder case balance sheets of Indrani Mukherjee's company accessed by Times Now that show an interesting pattern of unsecured loans surprisingly making their way to a loss making firm which are then diverted Peter Mukherjee's son and Sheena's alleged boyfriend Rahul Mukherjee was questioned late last night by Mumbai police for his alleged role in Sheena Bora's murder. Peter Mukherjee has been asked to be present for questioning today. Indrani Mukherjee who has been lodged in the jail in connection with the Sheena Bora murder case has now applied for bail. Well, that's a big breaking news that we are getting for you nearly 3 years since her arrest for the alleged murder of her daughter Sheena Indrani Indrani and her husband Peter Mukherjee the former CEO of Star TV who Mumbai's it couple wealthy ambitious flamboyant and well connected the who's who of India's powerful media industry had wined and dined at their sprawling terrace apartment overlooking the Arabian Sea theirs was indeed a picture perfect life until the police came knocking in the August of 2015 one day before Vidhi Mukherjee's 18th birthday. The Mukherjees had ordered more than a dozen Moet Chandon bottles personalized with her name for the birthday party that would never happen. Peter Mukherjee was 46 years old, divorced and father of two adult sons Rahul and Rabin when he was introduced to Indrani by a common friend. 
they swiftly fell into a relationship and before long Indrani had moved into Peter Mukherjee's home with her 3-year-old daughter Vidhi from her earlier marriage with the Kolkata businessman Sanjeev Khanna other than Vidhi it seemed she had no children but she did have her parents and two step siblings Sheena and Mikhail Bora back home in Assam many years later Sheena Bora like Indrani had came to Bombay to build a new life for herself she fell in love with Peter Mukherjee's son Rahul a relationship that Indrani frowned upon and actively discouraged then sometime in 2012 Sheena Bora abruptly disappeared from Mumbai the family was told that she had moved to the US to start a new work and a new life only Rahul Mukherjee her boyfriend remained unconvinced and tried to file a missing complaint 3 years later when the murder came to light vidhi mukherjee who had until then led an exceptionally sheltered and privileged life found her world turned upside down her mother was arrested for the murder of her sister whom she had thought of as her aunt until then her biological father sanjeev khanna was arrested on charges of abetment to that murder and then a few months later so was her beloved dad Peter Mukherjee barely 18 her cushioned life yanked from under her feet unsure whom she could trust and facing a pitiless media scrutiny vidhi found the stays of her life had come undone she slipped into depression suffered debilitating panic attacks and intense trauma devil's daughter is her account of reclaiming her own life i asked her what made her write this book and what it was like to return into the public eye i basically took that opportunity to understand my entire mental framework so much like this book i knew i had to face like certain fears and just you know suppress parts of myself so after all these emotions and deeper realizations were kind of coming through i knew i had to kind of write this down you know whether it was for the world to see or just for myself i i really didn't know it at that point So last year after I was just in this really weird place mentally and like I just had all of it sitting in my head I kind of got down on my laptop and started typing and in 2 months I finished the book and then after I kind of finished my first draft it's like I'd come out of this intensive 2 month dream because I was just reliving essentially every single moment of the last like 5 years it was pretty much like terrible and torturous but it really took me a long time to kind of embrace it you know when you were writing and when you decided to make it public was there anything that you said that i will not confront this because this journey it's also a journey about confronting difficult emotions oh yeah i mean absolutely that i was kind of i was in the worst like men i doesn't make sense if i say i was in the best and worst mental mind frame when i was writing this book because reliving each day of the last 5 years and and you think I'm it's insane but I remember absolutely everything you know I remember like from the day it all happened till today it's just so clear in my head reliving some of those moments you know as I was writing it, it I I kind of there were so many times I had to just like stop and take a break and just you know breathe and uh it my laptop was essentially like my therapist you know so sometimes even if I, the way i was feeling i just kind of in brackets right oh yeah i'm feeling like this right now 
and essentially it was like a vomit draft that came out you know my i think my first draft was like 150000 words or something and it's condensed into almost half of what it is the stuff right at the beginning was the hardest to confront then as i kept you know going back flipping back understanding how i came out of it i i just learned so much in the process of just noting everything down as well you know uh i'm going to push you a little bit and i want to ask you that why publish a book what was the idea behind it uh you have also been pretty low key in these last 5 years when your life was being unraveled and mm. and made a public spectacle is there concern that you're back in the public eye what what was the impetus for publishing the book the past 2 years i've really been trying to privatize everything so much more you know and um, i just realized i really want to live a private life especially now with this new age technology that's going on everything is online you know so but then when i started writing it in that period there were so many down moments that i had that were just filled with panic attacks and anxiety and i kind of wondered how many other young people my age for different reasons would be facing similar things you know and then i realized that i have to write this book and because getting into such a depressive state can really lead to tragic endings you know the reason i wrote it is because it wasn't and i just i i really wanted to try and hopefully inspire people through the story you know like a, a situation as dire as mine this is my kind of guide to how i came out of it did you really grapple with what to include and what to exclude hmm, not not really i mean when i first wrote it i kind of just wrote everything and uh, also when i i was in quite an angry state when i first wrote it there was a lot that was written that was probably a bit more darker that i had to take out just because you know like i didn't really want to put so much i i wanted to make the book also light i, I at the end i i wanted the reader to finish the book with a smile you know author sonia falero wrote a piece on the murder that had gripped india for the sunday california magazine and this is what she wrote sheena bora would remain a hazy figure throughout abandoned by both parents her father didn't know she was missing until he saw on tv that she had been killed she was forced to live a public lie masquerading as a mother's sister then in a form of reprieve she found love with her step brother only to learn that the possibility of another bora mukherjee wedding incensed her mother to friends she allegedly revealed fears that her mother was poisoning her but the sorrow and terror that must have dominated her life received little attention even after her death it was as oshina lived and died only so we could learn more about her murderer in a life filled with tragedy the final blow was to become a footnote to her own passing vidhi mukherjee indrani's other daughter who had grown up in greater privilege and with greater assurance about her parents love than sheena bora ever did was not going to be content being a footnote or the collateral damage in her parents high decibel implosion there is of course a lot of curiosity around you and the family right i mean that's that's also one of the reasons why people will be drawn into the book and you are remarkably frank about your ambiguity with your mom you have a very very 
critical moment in your life where you go and meet her in jail and sort of turns around everything. Uh, but can you talk about what this whole journey has been for our listeners who have not yet read the book? I think like any parent-child relationship, it comes with a lot of complexities, you know, some more than others, mine definitely more. Um, and my mom and me, that way, we do have a complicated relationship, but it's not, it's not bad, you know. We're just trying to work out a lot of things. I really empathize with the difficult path that she had to walk. And um, just I have a lot of compassion for her plight as well. I just think that me and my mom have a lot of stuff to work through and I am giving her a chance, you know. I really am appreciative and grateful for the life that she's given me. I really can't ignore that. And um, yeah, we're just taking one step at a time. And I think today she'd be incredibly proud of me. With, she has read the book? I don't know yet. I think she, ha- I think she will be getting a copy soon. Um, I've kind of given her a disclaimer of what's in the book and she understood, you know, I, I, I had that conversation with her that way. She's very understanding because she knows me and, you know, I just, I said that, you know, mom, this is going to be a book that's in truth, you know, it's all my truth and, you know, I can't really filter it out, not for you, not for anyone. So I think she really understood that. So yeah, <laughs> she's going to read it soon. Here's how Vidhi describes her first meeting with her mother Indrani in jail. A few minutes later, the woman sitting behind the desk told us we could go in. We walked in and saw her behind the caged barrier. She had lost so much weight. Her hair had grayed from the top and she just looked incredibly tired almost sick. We walked over to her and I burst into tears and began crying uncontrollably. The tears seemed incapable of stopping. Mum instantly started weeping too. She put her fingers up to the grill, as did I, and we wept together for a few minutes, uninterrupted. I looked over at Papa and he just hugged me. I could see the tears in his eyes, him trying ever so hard to hold them back, though a few rolled down the side of his face anyway, which he quickly and abruptly wiped off. I knew he wanted to be strong for us. We only had 20 minutes for our meeting. We had so much to say, so much to ask. How would one fit it all in? As she was crying, she kept apologizing. I am so sorry for all this. I have let you both down, she said. We were scared to ask her the persisting question in our mind. Did you do it? We refrained from that. But I did ask her what was going on. She just kept apologizing. She looked so worn out, so skinny and so exhausted as though she hadn't been able to sleep days. Then she asked me how I was doing. How was university? Was I attending classes? I nodded at everything without even hearing the full question. I asked her how she was. She said she was doing okay, that she was holding up. She said, baby, why aren't you writing to me? I froze and I said, 
I don't know, mum. I just really don't know. I am so confused. In the earlier part of the book, there's one thing which you say, which was really struck me, where you know she said that I did everything for you, and it's almost like a burden. You say that you know I, it becomes it, it is it is a terrifying thing to deal with, right? Most uh, parents have a habit of kind of saying this to their kid. It's not just with my mom. I realize like a lot of parents, you know, subconsciously, a lot of them don't know what it actually sounds like. But when you really think into it, it yeah, it is a bit borderline. Uh, manipulative is too strong a word, but yeah, saying I've done everything for you, it does weigh a burden, and it did weigh a burden when I was, you know, when this whole thing happened. I really wondered, like, you know, do I have a huge part to play in this? Did this all happen because of me? uh but then i really realized like it's i can't take responsibility for someone else's action sure no of course and that way she did a lot of things for me which i am really grateful for but i i did kind of take a step back and just make myself realize that listen down of this is my fault and i'm not really going to listen to that line you know all of this was done for you it's with anyone and can you talk a little bit about your relationship with your father your dad peter mukherjee I think everyone knows, you know, me and my father are two peas in a pod. You know, I think since the moment I came in his life, he used to always tell me like I was the apple of his eye. And uh, same with me, you know. I think from day one, we've just shared this incredible bond that I haven't ever felt with anyone else. You know, anyway, he's he's my knight in shining armor. He's everything to me, you know, and he's the he's the reason I actually live. I think. everyone in the family we get so much of our strength from him even when i'd go kind of visit him in prison and sometimes you know i i'd just be crying 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 and he would look at me and he'd still make a joke you know so something like that we just we learn so much from him every single day there came a point where you actually told him that you know that you should divorce mom and i will move in with you that little line tells you so much about the family dynamic this is before all this came to light we had a lot of uh, disagreements you know at at times we were all really close and at times we just really didn't understand each other at all and i was i was also quite a rebellious kid in that sense i didn't really make it easy for my mom either and those years that my schooling basically the years that me and my mom weren't the best of friends i was kind of happy because my dad was me and my dad we were so close you know so i was so happy to be like yeah I'll, i'll just come live with you i probably didn't even know half of what i was saying so those were just words randomly coming out of my mouth how would you describe your current sort of state of being i think since my dad has come out of prison i mean obviously everything changed that day and this huge weight was lifted off our shoulders but then once i really started working on myself and my book everything really has been good you know i've um, i can't be more grateful to the people around me that have kind of helped that even just understanding myself more spending time by myself like solitude to me is so important things are good right now you know things are good i'm i've learned in a way how to kind of control my emotions control my panic attacks control my different states of minds and uh, just understand them better one of the things which is very powerful in the book is of course uh, the the completely unvarnished way in which you talk about your panic attacks 
And then there's so many people out there who suffer from something similar or crippling anxiety and who are not able to talk about it. Can you talk a little bit about this? And especially, you know, when you talk about what happened to you on Christmas day when you were in London, can you talk about a bit of these things and how you gradually learn to overcome them? I used to look at anxiety in the worst way possible. You know, even though I knew that when I was anxious, when I started, because for the first two years, I wasn't feeling anxious because I was completely escaping. I just pretended that I was this normal kid with a normal life when I was abroad. And then one fine day, it really hit me, you know, and that's when I started getting anxious. Before that, those two years, I was just constantly around friends. I was traveling I was backpacking. I was just escaping into anything I possibly could, you know, just not to be alone. And that Christmas was the first time that I really was alone because I just didn't have anything to do. It's not by choice. You know, I just didn't have anything to do. Every single person around me, whether it be my family, whether it be my friends, was busy with their own families, you know. That's the first time I felt this weird kind of physical feeling when I was by myself. And that this entire one year, two years of escaping all came down on me that day. Then gradually I kind of realized, you know, I was just like, okay, if I'm feeling anxious, this means I'm feeling things because I knew I was pushing it all away. I knew I was purposely not feeling things. You know, I knew I was asking the right questions, but then I fell way too deep in with that pattern, you know, questioning and doubting everything. I allowed my mind to alter my kind of way of thinking where anything good that would come my way, I was almost programmed to think that, and prove to myself that it would all go away. You know, something would happen that would come and take that happiness away. What really helped me is this uh, really immersive, intensive psychotherapy called shadow work. It's essentially where you're reaching the darkest parts of your mind. You ask yourself these kind of questions on topics like insecurities, jealousy, uh, sexuality, just the, the darkest, essentially, that you really don't even want to look at, you know, you're ashamed to even look at. And it's, it's one of the toughest things. I mean, when I was going through this process for about like a few weeks, it was the worst. Like there were four days. I thought I was just going crazy, you know. Why was that? Like- because I, just, I, was, I was only, I was only re- recalling these kind of, well, the way I looked at it, I was just like, these are my flaws, you know. It, it's like my flaws were just showcasing in front of me, I was looking at each one of them going past me, you know, just tormenting me essentially saying, this is what you do. You know, this is what you've done in the past. This is why, you know, you don't have this or something. It was just so negative. And this is the first time I was really like accepting it. You know, I was just like, yeah, this is how I was. You know, th- this is the reason I was doing this. That's the first time in like five years. So it was literally, I was like, I think I was like crying for like two days straight, you know, and people around me like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, fine. Just leave me alone. After that, I haven't had even one panic attack. I mean, I've come close to having it, but I've been able to control it. You know, you described that your childhood was very protected. You know, your, you, you know, while your friends would take school buses, you'd be sent by car, largely happy, very protected. And when all this happened, Did you kind of get a sense that, hang on, like, do I know my parents? I literally didn't process anything for the first two years. So I didn't even, when I mean escaping my reality, I was literally escaping my reality. I 
when I was in London, for example, and you know, no one knew who my parents were, like in in my specific uh, friend circle, you know, no one knew my family situation. When they would like talk about like, oh yeah, something as stupid as like, oh yeah, you know, my, like my mom called me today, she's annoying me so much. I would just like add and be like, yeah, oh my God, I know what you mean, you know. And I would make myself believe essentially that like I have a normal life. So for two years, I didn't process it. But then, yeah, when I did start processing it and when I really got into this deeply, I, I for my dad, not so much for my mom, I just wondered, you know, what what's happening? Like what's going on? You know, at the beginning of the book, you say that, you know, you when the cops were there and you went and asked your mom, that Ishina, uh, our sister. Yeah. So was that something that, that you had kind of dealt with? It was like one of those like taboo topics in our house. Like no one could, no one could talk about it because there was just, there was, it was being spoken about earlier, but then everyone just knew, you know, okay, like we don't bring this up. And uh, I knew when I, when I asked her, like it's, I didn't even think about it. It just naturally organically came to me. Like, is this what it's like, you know, what's going on? Because, uh, mm. It was mentioned by the cops. I mean, not in a month of Sundays, but I think that was what's going to happen. You know, I thought I was just like, this is all a big misunderstanding. I mean, we were all so confused. When you talk about, you know, your father also uh, getting imprisoned, your reaction was to blame your mom. And, and, and in your mind, you know, he was paying the price for being married to her. Yeah, I mean... Back then, I was incredibly emotional. You know, I, I was uh, just, I was this angry kid who kind of would blame anyone for anything. Um, and that's something I've, I'm kind of accepting now. You know, I, I, I would just, I would blame anyone for anything. Now, I would probably not react the same way. But yeah, I was a kid back then. I was 18 and I was just filled with all sorts of emotions. To the world outside, the Mukherjee family seems like, my God, what, you know, it seems dysfunctional. Can you give us a sense of what it is like to be a part of that family? It's great. I love it. They're my family, you know, like I've, I've been, I've, uh, they've known me since I was like three years old. I've known them since I was a kid. Of course, as all families, we have spats. But now, you know, we're just so past all the minuscule, like, problems. Our problems have become so much, were so much bigger that, you know, we don't, we don't strive for that perfect family or those, you know, like, obligatory trips and all that. Because I pick up the phone and I call my cousin who I've not spoken to in two years. It's going to be the same, you know, in, in fact, more. We're great that way. I love, I love them. Uh, you talk a lot about Rabin in the book. But you don't talk so much about Rahul. I personally don't feel right talking about like the inner workings of our family as much because it's just, it's, you know, we want to still keep that part private of ourselves. We are, as I said, you know, we're all trying to heal. You know, some at some moments, we might need space from each other. At some moments, we don't talk to each other for months. And some moments, we need each other, you know. And there have been moments like that for me. There have been... There was a period of my life where I literally didn't talk to anyone for two years because I just really needed that time, you know. And I think my family, they were so understanding. They really got that. So that's the case with all of us. We just, we need time and space. And then when we need each other, we're there for each other. 80 to 23 is a very special age at one level, you know. And uh, 
if I were to ask you to sort of describe yourself, how would you do that? Um, hmm. No one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> how would I describe myself? I think I would like to think I'm quite creative and optimistic, you know? Uh, now that's something that's taught me, these five years have taught me just to be really an eternal optimist, as you might say. Uh, I think my dad would be quite happy if he heard that. You know, trying to look at just in any ugliness, trying to find that beauty. When you meet strangers and they know who you are, over the years, has people's reactions changed? Uh, so I would say my reaction has changed over the years. For me now, it's like I embrace it. I can easily talk about it, you know. Mm. When someone, I used to feel like this. When someone asks me like, oh, what is your book about? I used to have this like, oh, do I want to say or should I just send the link? Now, if someone asks me, I'll just be like, yeah, this is what happened to me. And I can really talk about it and embrace my story, you know, because it's empowered me. This whole journey has empowered me. Today's episode was produced by Joshua Thomas and Jairad Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, Subscribe to us. We are available on TUI Plus, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, reach us at tuipodcasts at timesinternet.in.